you know, at times it's easy to uh, sing these words and get into a rhythm uh, of affirming things as we sing these songs that may or may not actually be true. And so, you know, as we sing, we want to continually be asking questions like, is it well with my soul? And maybe in a grand sense, an overarching, maybe an umbrella sense, it is well with your soul because you are trusting in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on Calvary. And if it is, then it is well with your soul. But even in a sub-sense or an underlying sense, there can be times when aspects of our life may not seem like it is well with our soul. In fact, it may not be well with our soul, even though our salvation, if we are in Christ, is secure in Christ. Our salvation never depends on our performance, on on how well we do on any given day. Otherwise, we would never earn our salvation and we would never keep our salvation based on our own human effort. When we are in Christ, we are in him holy and he carries us to glory. Amen. We're going to talk about uh, Biblical stewardship. We're starting a, a brief, a very brief uh, miniseries, a couple weeks, talking about a biblical stewardship and the idea of how biblical stewardship helps us cultivate wisdom. Or you might say, as we cultivate wisdom regarding the things of God, we will grow in our biblical stewardship. Now, I know what you might be thinking when it comes to biblical stewardship and what you might think you're going to hear on a Sunday morning like this. You know, I think of a game that uh, that uh, we played with the youth group sometimes. um, And, uh, you know, you tie a balloon on everybody's ankle and uh, and everybody's got to have closed toed shoes on. And the goal is to see who's the last one with a balloon on their ankle. And you run around the room stepping on the balloon, you know, and um and uh, trying to pop everybody's balloon by stepping on it, right? Well, what happens 90% of the time, right? You always got this kid in the room. Like, I don't know. I'm not sure who it is. But you always have this kid in the room who doesn't care about the balloon. He's just like, this is my chance for payback for everybody. And I'm just going to step on everybody's toe, right? That's what I'm going for. I don't even care if I win or not. In fact, when I'm out, I'm going to keep going, right? Well, stewardship can be kind of like that. I mean, I don't mean to set up a wonderful, a gloriously, a glorious biblical truth with the idea that, oh, it's painful because everybody gets their toes stepped on. But my point is just to say that biblical stewardship affects every aspect of your life and mine. Biblical stewardship affects everything. We think of money, finances, monetary things right out of the gates, but biblical stewardship affects everything. And so God calls his people to live as wise stewards, and it's rooted in creation. And it reveals what or whom you treasure. It's empowered by faith, and it is a primary means for cultivating wisdom. 
Now, you'll hear me repeat pieces of that throughout the morning. In fact, we'll unpack that phrase. But God's call for his people to live as wise stewards is rooted in creation. It reveals what or whom you and I treasure. It is empowered by faith and is a primary means for cultivating wisdom. And so the main idea I want you to walk out with today is that God wants us to cultivate wisdom through biblical stewardship. And I've said this before, but I want to ask you to pay attention to points in this message where you may find yourself being defensive. If you find yourself being defensive or as we say certain things moving throughout the morning, explaining why you don't or aren't able or haven't been doing X, Y, or Z, that's an area for you to pay attention to. That's a that's a like a, a Jacob wrestling with the Lord. That's you maybe wrestling with the Holy Spirit in terms of what God wants you to be applying this week. Because like I said, this is like we're stepping on balloons today, which means we're stepping on some toes today all the way throughout. It's a difficult sermon to prepare to preach because I know it affects me in a lot of ways. So we're going to dive right in. Often, by the way, here at church at Oak Grove, often we we take one passage and we move very slowly through that passage. We just took about three months uh, going through the book of 1 Thessalonians, which is not a very long book. Uh, This morning, we're going to do sort of a a biblical survey and just identify four main passages uh, that sort of set up a, a theological foundation for how we view biblical stewardship. The first is that biblical stewardship is rooted in creation. Read with me in Genesis 1, 26 through 31. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the uh, the uh, livestock and over every uh, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and, he, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now, a a different aspect of God's creation account Uh, In next chapter, we see verse 15 of chapter two. Then the Lord God took man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. In other words, God put man in the garden to steward it, to, to take care of it. Adam and Eve could never look to God and say, Anything other than the reality that acknowledging the reality that they are God's 
creation, like the plants and like the birds and the trees and the flowers and the animals. They, too, are God's creation, which means God is the owner of everything. God is the only one to ever make something. In fact, everything from nothing, anything that you and I make, anything that we dream up comes from something. Even the ideas come from somewhere. And each and every one of these things originate in God. So everything God gives us is an act of God's grace, an act of God's kindness. Biblical stewardship is linked with this concept of grace. Everything that everything comes from God as a gift and is to be received with thanksgiving. That's why Johnny opened with Psalm 100 this morning. A wonderful psalm of thanksgiving. And so everything's to be received with thanksgiving and managed faithfully on God's behalf. Because we work for him, not he for us. Although, I know in my own prayer life, I have gotten that on its head before. Lord, I need you to very quickly forgetting that he is God. Psalm 100 verse 3. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. I guess is the whole psalm. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with thanksgiving. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. My boys like to make things. Uh, you know, Skylar loves making making things with armature wire and, and putting, you know, clay on it and all that kind of thing. And, and Braden makes... Uh, things with computers and he loves uh, making games with computers and all this kind of stuff and, and and if either one of those things were to be sort of like crushed or again uh, maybe deleted or destroyed it would take a nanosecond for something like hey that's mine to flow from their heart before it makes it out of their mouth And that's true for you and me, friends. God, he is the Lord and we are his. We are the people and the sheep, his people and the sheep of his pasture. And therefore we enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, giving thanks to him, blessing his name for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. He has made us and we are his. And that applies, brothers and sisters, friends, to everything on the earth. It includes the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ came to save sinners like you and me, among whom I am the worst. It includes this good news of the gospel. It includes personal resources like time, money, possessions, talents or gifts relationships, everything that we have, everyone that we know, everything that we are is to be stewarded in response to the gracious giving of our Lord. We, we read recently in, in Psalm, or Second, Second Thessalonians 3.11, we, uh, we hear, Paul said, that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but, but busybodies, 
One of the reasons Paul is sort of getting on them, and I won't say much on this because we just talked about it recently, but is when we're not focused on the work of the Lord, we get busy with all these other things that are ancillary. That I wouldn't even say ancillary. They're very much unimportant in the grand scheme of things of this life. Everything that we do, our job ought to be a platform for us to make known the glorious riches of God in Jesus Christ. He said, well, I'm there to work for my employer, not to be an evangelist. Well, that's partially true. You are there to work for your employer and not walk around uh, trying to make everybody become a Christian while you're working. He's paying you to do a job. But the way that you work, the way that you respond to trials, the way that you talk with people, the way that you talk at the water fountain is a way that we make much about Jesus. You say, well, I'm very kind and I help out my neighbors with things. Well, that's wonderful. But in helping your neighbors with things, are you doing it in such a way that somewhere along the line here, you're making much of Jesus? Because we go from just doing things for people or with people to talking to them about why this even matters to us, why they would matter to us. Why would we want to sacrifice our time to help someone? Because we are striving to point to the glorious riches of God and Jesus Christ. This is how we must view stewardship through the lens of the gospel, through the lens that everything that we have is a gift from God and we turn it back to him in praise. God made us his image bearers, we just read, and he entrusted to us the mission of showing forth his glory by, by, by prizing him above all else. Prizing him above all else. Prizing him above all that he's given us. And so as we live as content worshipers, which the Apostle Paul says in Philippians is something to be learned. And so it's important that you hear me this morning saying that we are to learn, and I'll say it more explicitly here in a minute, but we are to learn to grow in becoming more faithful stewards. It's not a light switch that we turn on or off. The idea is that as we grow in Christ, as we are, as we are uh, progressively sanctified or progressively made more and more like Jesus, we turn up the dimmer switch of our holiness. Remember, holiness just means being set apart for the Lord. Right? It's not this sense of, oh, you're holier than thou. No, no, no. We're growing in an awareness that we need to be putting off more and more and more of the old self. Because we didn't learn Christ that way. The way we learned Christ was that he, he put off everything and he came putting off the sense of his godliness. And he came in as a, as, as a man in flesh, now, I said in the sense, and that's important because Jesus was 100% God, 100% man at all times. But he set aspects of it aside in a way that he might live perfectly to fulfill all righteousness. And so we fell at the garden. We, we marred or, or we broke our intended purpose 
Jesus, through his perfect life, fulfilled it all. He fulfilled all righteousness, which is why the only reason that you and I have any hope of being able to recapture in our hearts and in our actions a desire for biblical stewardship in all things, to cultivate wisdom through biblical stewardship. So God who made everything and he values what is truly best for us. And maybe it's just worth pausing there and asking that question. Do you believe that what God commands? I know we we don't like the word commands. God commands. We are his. God commands. Do you believe that everything God commands is for your good? If you don't, you misunderstand the character of God. And and, and if you view things through the lens that God commands things to keep you from what you would really enjoy, rather than commanding that you put away things that you will not enjoy in any sort of sustaining way in order that you might enjoy him. This is God. This is his character. He wants what is best for you. He wants us to be spending time in his word, not so we can just rack up a bunch of knowledge, but so that we might know him through knowing his word, through fellowshipping with him, through talking with him in prayer. He wants this for us because our, uh, our ability, our, our, our growth in experiencing or knowing him through his word and in prayer and in the context of the body of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit is how we enjoy the fruit of relationship with him. This is good for us. This is best for us. We all know that this is good when when we experience something and we want someone else to experience it together. In fact, we're relational beings. And so we're not intended to experience things and enjoy them solely on our own. I know some introverts in this room might take issue with this statement. That's okay. You still have somebody. Might not be the crowd of people, but you got somebody that you want to tell. Somebody you want to get coffee with and say, oh, let me tell you what happened last weekend or what we did this week because we're created to enjoy things in the context of community he wants what is best for us which is to cultivate wisdom through biblical stewardship because biblical stewardship friends reveals your treasure jesus points this out in matthew 6 19 through 24 where he says do not that's a command do not Lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Do you see Jesus pointing out? Treasures matter. And if I may paraphrase, I don't want you to waste your life Way, uh, storing up treasures that are for nothing. But lay up for yourselves. That is a command. Lay up for yourselves. It is not a suggestion. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. 
You might say where you find your heart running to. You will see your treasure. What do you think about when you're not trying to think about anything, but you can't stop thinking about everything, so you find yourself thinking about something? Look and you'll see your treasure. Where does your mind run to? That is to say, where your heart runs to. They're not inseparable. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And you remember I said a minute ago, this is about learning. I'm sorry for taking so many drinks. I've got a tickle in my throat or something going on, but. When you increasingly treasure Jesus, you will progressively, that means a little at a time, you will progressively grow in ways that help you lay up treasures in heaven. The, the Christian life, I, I, was, I was, I don't know, a young 20-something when I read Pastor John Piper's book, Desiring God, and it changed the trajectory of how I viewed uh, religion, how I viewed faith. In fact, he wrote the book in response to his wrestling with the same. A lot of times we view our walk with the Lord as though, oh, God requires this of us and I must do this. It's like this, oh, God commands it and so I've got to do it, but I don't want to do it. And so why would God command me to do it? I, but I need to do it. I need to do this out of duty. And I'm taking a 400 page book and trying to summarize it in about two paragraphs. So but what he gets to is the fact that you and I, in fact, this is his ministry mantra, if you will. You and I are most satisfied when we are satisfied in God. So sometimes we talk about things like time or we talk about things like money and we talk... We talk about, oh, well, I can't because, I can't because, I can't because, I can't because. Usually what you find is when you pull all that back, when you strip back the veneer of all the becauses. Because, 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 because. What you find is a life pattern of things that you choose. Because you want to. You're in a community group because you want what God wants for you, which is to be connected in biblical relationships, biblical community through God's word. Whether that's a community group or a men's study or a ladies study, growing in God's word together. You want this because you enjoy God and you know that God works in and through his people to shape us to be more like him. You want to invest in God's kingdom because you know that you're investing in what is eternal. And you want what is eternal because you want God, because you love God. You prioritize relationships, romantic relationships with those who love God. Because God says, if 
If you don't, you're not walking the same direction. You ever try to play uh, play uh, the potato sack three leg three legged relay race game? You know, and it's basically just somebody just came up with this idea when they sat down and they thought, my family is getting together. How can I make them all look like morons? And then they're like, I know, tie their leg together and make them race. If your legs were tied together and one was going that way and one was going that way, you would just be immediately on your face. And his point is, when Paul talks about being in relationships with those who also are God's children, because you have to be in order to walk the same direction. Otherwise, you're going to have divided interests. You see how... Being a steward of our money, our time, our gifts. You may say, well, I don't, I don't have time to serve at the church. In the worship team or as an instrumentalist or in a study or administratively or uh, in a variety of ways with children's ministry, with student ministry. I just have too many things going on. Then you have too much going on. You ought to be connected in one way that you can serve in Oak Grove Church and any local church be connected in one way where you're serving where you're in relationship with other people striving together to build god's kingdom now not every form of service is inside the walls of these church of this church to be sure right you may you may say well i'm intentionally serving my neighbors and bringing the gospel to them praise god be serving him. The idea of verses 22 and 23, where he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, I'm sorry, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And he continues, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He's saying the, the, the eye is the window through which light gets in to the whole body. Now we've been having some conversations about a window that we have in the, in the, uh, in the, uh, in the old building, our current youth center. One of our stained glass windows that faces 32nd Avenue uh, is, is broken around the, the, um, uh, there's a very, very, very small crack in the window glass itself, but the rest has to do with the frame. So mostly the window itself is okay. But one of the things that I love about these old um, stained glass windows is in the old cathedrals, they were massive. And you could stack person on top of person on top of person on top of person. And they would design them in ways that told the story of the gospel. And one window would begin with creation. And another might talk about the fall. And another might talk about how God began the process of restoring a people unto himself. And the thing that allowed you to see the story was the light of the sun. And the sun shone through the outside to enable those who are inside to know the story of the gospel. But if it's covered up, you can't see it through the light of the sun. 
If you and I have clouded vision because we're not looking to the sun, we don't, we don't see everything illuminated through his grace. We don't see everything illuminated by he who gives us light or understanding. Right? The, the color, the quality of, of a window decides what can get into the room. We went on a trip recently. And have you ever had uh, a clean window and the car looks great? Except you've got a film on the inside of your window. That's like the hardest part of a car to clean. That part, like to get, you know, you know what I'm talking about? And maybe you say, I just, it's just getting bad. I mean, ours aren't that bad. I'm exaggerating for the sake of illustration. But, you know, you kind of use your hand and you clean a little part of it. Well, what does that make you think? Oh, brother, now I got to clean the whole window. I don't even know if I can finish this trip because now you see just how bad it is. Right? You go from like, oh, things seem cloudy to, oh, let me clean it just a little bit. That's what happens with stewardship as the Lord opens our eyes to see, here's an area that you need to grow in stewardship. And then, and then you just say, oh, there's so much more. And it would be easy to become disheartened, brothers and sisters, but that's not what the Lord wants for us. He wants us to learn this increasingly, to increasingly die to self so that we might increasingly live through him and experience the joy and the power and the wonder of walking in him. And so therefore, Jesus says the light that gets into any person's heart or soul depends on the spiritual state of the eye through which it passes, since the eye is the window of the body. Pastor James Montgomery Boyce said, if you are absorbed with money, you will miss everything else in life that really matters. And, and, and I would add that, that being absorbed with can be seeking too much money or frequently being focused on having too little and wrestling with envy or, or jealousy. It, it might also be resting in an assurance of how much one has. And you say, oh, I've got my cushion. And your rest, your trust is in that rather than in the fact that it is the Lord who provides for you. It is the Lord who made us. He is God and we are his. You, you, you can apply that same principle very quickly to being resting in a certain relationship. As long as this relationship is intact and we're good. then I can sing, it is well with my soul. But I would just ask, are we singing, it is well with my soul? Because we're looking to Jesus, growing in wisdom, walking in faith, as we strive to be biblical stewards. There's a direct cause and effect relationship between faithful stewardship and a lack of biblical stewardship. Right? If you don't master your money, your money will master you. If you don't master your relationships, your relationships will master you. If you don't master your time, you will be mastered by a lack of enough time. Or I should say a perceived lack of enough time. So God wants us to cultivate wisdom because through biblical stewardship, we are empowered by and we are strengthened in our faith, right? Biblical stewardship is empowered by faith. I want you to listen to uh, Hebrews 11. And I said, we're, we're, we're moving around quite a bit textually today. The author of Hebrews says, now faith 
is the assurance or it is the substance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. For by it, that is by faith, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Do you remember I said at the beginning, God created everything from nothing. By faith, Abel, remember the story possibly of Cain and Abel? Abel offered up a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. That was his commendation. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch, when he was, he was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Listen to verse 6, friends. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, We'll see in a minute that that fear is the beginning of wisdom. And so in reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world because he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith, without which... I'm coming back to chapter 6, without which it is impossible to please God. Friends, this is the hinge of what we're talking about regarding biblical stewardship. Because in every area of our life, if we're not living as wise, wise stewards, faith is the antidote faith Faith is the antidote. You, you must believe so that you can turn in repentance. No, not, not so that you can turn to doing better. Because before you can do better, you have to repent. Which is simply to acknowledge, to agree with God. Psalm 32. Nolan, you're not going to have this for the screen there. But I, I want to read Psalm 32 for you because it's beautiful. Psalm 32 talks about what happens when we're repenting. He says, blessed is, that means happy in Jesus, if you will. Happy in Jesus is the one who, whose transgressions or sin is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed, happy in Jesus is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when, deceit. So for when I was silent, my bones wasted away. You may say, 
earlier, I I started this morning by saying, I hope it is well with your soul. You may feel like it's not well with my soul this morning, though I know I'm trusting in Jesus, but it seems like my bones are wasting away because you're withholding an aspect of stewardship or walking with the Lord in the way that God is calling you to. And that comes with pains, sometimes physical, not always physical. Sometimes the pain is the is the natural consequence of an action not to trust God. You say, well, I'm not at peace. Then maybe you're not trusting God. I don't want to presume to know your heart. He said, for, for day and night, or no, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. I want to tell you, friends, God, out of his great love for his children, puts his hand of loving conviction on you. I've told you before, one of the things that I often pray for people at times is, Lord, do whatever you need to do to get a hold of them, to get their attention. Be as harsh as you need to, but as gentle as you can, because that's who you are. And so God, in his great love for you, God, in his great desire for you to experience him, walking in him, allows not allowed. He puts his heavy hand of conviction on you and you feel it. You say, I'm just, I'm depressed. Now, I don't mean to say that depression is always God's conviction because I don't believe it is, but I do believe it often is. Because when God puts his hand of conviction on us and we don't repent, turn away from the way we're walking and turn toward him in faith, God leaves his hand of conviction on us. And we walk around with the weight. Maybe one sin, two sin, a life pattern. And we just walk around. Why am I not experiencing the joy of Christ? I've I've talked with people who are in terribly awful marriages. Sometimes, sometimes, in part, due to a decision to marry an unbeliever, let's say. And they're walking with the natural consequences of that. Now, once you're married, stay married. Or an area where God wants you to be serving, using your gifts as a steward of what he has given you, the talents he's given you in life. We said, no, I've got all these other things going on, but they're not seeking God's kingdom. And so God's heavy hand of conviction is on you. That's his grace, friend. Day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you. That is, I repented. I acknowledge my sin to you. That doesn't mean that you've got to... to to come groveling to the Lord. Oh God, would you please accept me? I promise I'll turn the right way and I'll, I'll never do this again. No, 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 no. God, thank you for Jesus. I'm learning to look to him and I'm wrong in this way I've been living. I'm wrong. I repent. I'm turning away from it and I'm turning to you. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer up a prayer to you at a time when you may be found. 
surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. He's looking back to Israel's deliverance. You are a hiding place for me. You, not the relationship, not monetary gain, not easy circumstances in life, not the right job, not the right title, not whether or not it seems like all is well around our world, not whether or not things are politically going well. No, you, God, are the Lord who made heaven and earth, and we are yours. You, God, are a hiding place for me. You, God, preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. He continues. Paraphrasing here. Now that you've learned this, don't be like a stubborn mule and fail to listen to my voice. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Oh, be glad and rejoice in the Lord. Oh, righteous ones, shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Friends, faith, faith is the, is the hinge for turning to the Lord. Not a spreadsheet. Not, not a spreadsheet. If I do, and this, okay, here's where it'll work out. No, that is very much walking by what I see. Not, I'll say not necessarily, because I like a good spreadsheet too. But not trusting in the spreadsheet, not trusting in the relationship, not trusting in fill in the blank. As long as we continue walking in our own ways or, or depending on our own sight, you might not even realize that your entire windshield is so fogged up that you just can't see anymore. The spiritual eye through which you see things is not seeing things through the lens of God's word, which is good. So God wants us to cultivate wisdom through biblical stewardship because wisdom guards us. Wisdom protects us. Wisdom helps us see clearly. Proverbs 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know, that means to know and put into practice and therefore affirm that it is true. You hear that? It's not just knowledge, but to know wisdom, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles. Now listen, you remember Enoch, remember Noah, who in reverent fear obeyed the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Are you living foolishly? God in his mercy sets before us a banquet of running 
in his joy and gracious provision and wonderful relationship, though imperfect relationships. And he says that when we hear and learn and don't apply, we live foolishly. Now, I grew up in a home where mom and dad said, you know, don't call people names. I'm not call, this is not calling people names. It's a true depiction of what God says about who you are and who I am. When we don't hear and apply what God says. This is why biblical stewardship is, is necessary. Let's see how I want to say this part right. Biblical stewardship helps us cultivate wisdom. Wisdom is not something that you go and buy off the shelf. Wisdom is something that is cultivated through understanding and through putting it into practice. It's like a depth perception. Tim Chalice, he's an author and a blogger, and he says, discernment is the skill of understanding and applying God's word with the purpose of separating truth from error, right from wrong. If we refuse to exercise discernment, we are swayed by every wind of doctrine and we deny God glory that is rightly his and we do not learn to enjoy him more. What's the crux of this message? God wants us to enjoy him more by growing in biblical stewardship because biblical stewardship requires faith in every area of our life. It requires faith. And when we walk in faith and we see again and again and again that God is good, we enjoy him more. We enjoy the fruit of walking in fellowship with him more. It applies to everything, including this time of communion that we enter into now. In communion, we, we remember that Jesus gave his life to fulfill all righteousness. And he gave his life as a ransom for you, for me. So that we can remember that it's not by our power that we have a relationship with God, but through Christ. Through Christ. So how do we steward this time? Well, you examine yourself so that we don't eat or drink in an unworthy manner. Wouldn't it be foolish? Wouldn't it be foolish to go to someone's house who, who made you a meal? And as, the, and as the cook, as the hostess and the host are still in the kitchen getting things prepared and some of the things are at the table, we just begin to sat, sit down at the table and we just start stuffing our faces with it. Wouldn't that be rude? And so too, we dare not come to the table this morning without taking stock. Now, a lot of times we move around freely and I encourage you to grab someone and pray with them or thank someone. This is all, these are all ways that we can enact uh, this, the Lord's Supper together. This morning, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. So we're going to invite you to come and take the elements of the, the bread and the juice. That is, if you're trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. And you might say, now that doesn't seem the most welcoming thing, but it is the most important thing. Because you are welcome at the table. Because you are welcome in Christ. But if you've not yet come to Christ, 
The table is just a way of saying, I know that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin, and I willfully refuse it, but I'm going to come anyway. Or for the Christian, one who is in Christ, to say, I know there are areas of my life that are out of bounds, but you know what? I'm not going to do business with the Lord on it today. I'll deal with it another day. Today, I'm just going to come. I'm more concerned about walking in line with people than I am about getting right with God. And so take some time. Come. Come individually or, or come as a family or come with a friend. Trusting in Jesus, taking the bread and the cup and take it back to your seat and use this opportunity as the worship team leads us in prayer to pray or to, to pray the song that we sing as a song of praise to the Lord. Or you might want to just take that time and say, I need to get on my knees right here. And, and your chair, you turn around and you get on your knees and your chair becomes your altar. And you're giving your heart to the Lord. Maybe for the first time today, God, I can't save myself and I know it. I know you sent Jesus to be the sacrifice for my sins and I trust him alone. There's no better time than today to trust in Christ alone. I'll close with this. Scottish pastor Robert Murray McShane left us with this quote that is a, it's, a, it's just a very famous quote. Uh, one line ended in the middle, but the whole thing is glorious. And I'm still only reading a paragraph, but it's it's good for so many good reasons. So I know I'm running beyond time right now, and, and I know you're restless and tired maybe, but I just want to ask you to listen. Listen here. Listen to this. Learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, Take 10 looks at Jesus because he is altogether lovely. Such infinite majesty and yet such meekness and grace and all for sinners, even the chief. Live much in the smiles of God. Bask in his beams. Feel his all-seeing eye settled on you in love and repose in his almighty arms. Learn much of the Lord Jesus. And for every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. He, who is the Lord, who made heaven and earth, is altogether lovely. And walk in the joy of cultivating wisdom through biblical stewardship.